Hello and welcome to Stick Around, a suicide discussion. If you or someone you love struggle with mental illness, this is the place to be. I'm Kel Bjorn, and I'm passionate about helping others discover ways to find value in their lives. You've got friends, you've got family, you've got plenty of people who want you to stick around. So let's open up and see if we can make a difference. Welcome back to the Stick Around Podcast. I'm Kel Bjorn, and I am sitting down today with John Gossett. I'm sitting, he's sitting. We're on Zoom, though, so I can't really see him. Um, but John, he, he lives in the state of Utah, like myself, just on the other side of the mountains that I look out out my window in Harriman. He's over in Tooele. Um, actually, when I moved to Utah a couple years ago, people started calling it that. On paper, it looks like Thule or Tuelli or... Kind of a tricky one, but it is Tuilla. Um, and John has been living there since we just talked about 2001. He recognized that there were too many people dying by suicide in his hometown there. Um, that set him on a course of action. And in February 2014, he founded the Life's Worth Living Foundation to make a difference where he lived. And that foundation has a threefold mission to raise awareness, to educate and to prevent suicide. So worthy causes. Thanks for joining me today, John. Well, I appreciate you having me. Yeah. So we, we both kind of got lined up. Uh, Todd Sylvester's one that we both had interviewed in the past and been on his show and he's kind of a mutual friend and he's like, you two need to talk. Cause John is, is uh, part of life's worth living is hosting a podcast himself. Is that what it's called? Just yeah, life's, life's worth living podcast. Perfect. So we'll put some links to the show notes in, in John's show as well. So be sure to check that out. Um, but I kind of want to start with where where this road started for you, John, and, and getting into suicide prevention. Was there anyone particularly close to you that, that died by suicide in that time? Or did you just start to notice in the community around that it was happening more and more often? Yeah, you know, and if I were to back up, I grew up in Utah County. I uh, went to school and I never knew anyone in my school days that had taken their life, not one. And so it was, it was something I knew about that I wasn't focused on, I wasn't really aware of because of that. And in my adult life, you know, I think we all have, uh, I, there were people that I went to school with that, that ended their lives, uh, you know, as adults later on in life. But you'd always hear about suicides and, and murder suicides, and you'd hear about those types of things. Well, we moved out to Tooele in 2001, and you know, as we neared 2014, 2014 was a rough year out here. Mm. My son was a wrestler at Tooele High School, and one of his teammates had just wrestled at the state tournament um, in February. It was President's Day weekend of 2014 and the following week we were in St. George at the Parade of Homes. I'm a contractor by trade so we were, we were in St. George at the Parade of Homes and uh, we received, received word that this uh, young man that we had traveled with his parents for three years to these wrestling tournaments. Great kid, great, great family. He had uh, died by suicide a week after the state tournament. And uh, 
we got that news and I immediately said to my son, we're on our way home. We're going to come back and, and be with you. And he's like, no, stay. He said, coaches, coach had come to school and he pulled all the kids together in the lunchroom. They were talking about it, wanted to answer questions, you know, have that, that time with their coach was so valuable. I can't thank him enough for, for what he did for those, those boys by gathering them all together and having that conversation. But, uh, um, he talked us into staying in St. George at the Prada Homes. He said they were going to go to Coach's house that evening. They hung out as a team. They all were together. They were able to mourn and, and ask questions and struggle and, and get through it. Well, he had died on a Thursday. We found out about it Friday morning. And then Saturday, uh, my best friend in Tooele, uh let me know that his son had died by suicide that day so oh my gosh two days we, apart. yeah and and you know the the wrestler was 17 or 18 and uh my friend's son was i believe 27 yeah. not related if they knew each other it wasn't like they were close friends right but totally totally separate reasons and uh and my friend's son left behind a wife and three children. Wow. And we were, we were heartbroken because we knew both of these, both of these boys, we knew them well. Um, and I, I came back that following week and we had a funeral at uh, the Catholic church one day at the LDS church the next day for a, for the other and to have two funerals in two days something about that kind of just made a shift for me like mm. how are we losing this many kids how how does this keep happening and then when when that happened i started to revisit gosh there had been a little girl that had taken her life earlier you know a few months earlier and then two weeks after another young man that i knew of through a friend in Tooele had taken his life at 19. And I just kept thinking, why is no one doing anything? Why is, why is nobody bothered by this? And, and you know, I, I've told stories and trainings that we give um, throughout the years. You know, what would happen if we loaded up a 737 and every other day, had it filled with passengers and just crashed it into the ground. There were no survivors. Wow. You know, what would happen? I mean, they would ground the planes, right? They would make sure that we weren't, we weren't uh, having any more flights until we figured out what was going on. I mean, you take it a couple of years ago, we had that problem with the 737 Maxes or whatever, and they grounded the whole fleet until they could figure out what was going on. But yet, we lose that many people to suicide and it seems like nothing's happening and it's really frustrating now saying that going looking back i mean i've been been doing this for going on eight years i was naive to believe that no one was doing anything i will yeah, say that that's absolutely I, true if you're not in those circles and you're not aware you really don't realize there are there are unsung heroes in the in the shadows that are doing many things 
I wasn't aware of them at the time. And so that hurt. And so I, I remember waking up and saying to my wife, something's got to be done. I said, I'm going to start a foundation. And she looked at me and she goes, you know nothing about suicide. And I said, I don't. <laughs> I, and legit, I, I knew nothing about yeah. suicide. However, I knew that we were losing way too many. And if not me, who was going to do it? And I'm not patting myself on the back. That's just the thoughts that I had at the time. Like, I'm willing to learn whatever I need to learn. And I'm willing to do whatever I need to do. But we cannot keep losing these people that were, I mean, they had value. They were loved. They, they brought something to this world, right? They were needed. And they were gone. And so we started this foundation and I quickly found out that there were many people, the health departments, uh, communities that care, uh, the hope squads, there were, there, yeah. school districts were doing things. I mean, there were so many things going in the background and I just wasn't aware of it. So um, I feel guilty for having those thoughts, but I'm grateful that we jumped in when we did. Um, at the time, in 2014, Tooele was fourth in the state, fourth of 29 counties. We were fourth for suicides. In eight years, we have dropped from fourth to 21st. Wow. And, and there's been nowhere in the state that's made any moves like that. And I'm not taking credit for it because we are working together with all those different agencies and we're all doing what we can. But um, I mean, that's a, a measurable difference. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to have been part of it. Even though I haven't lost someone within my own family, you know, you can't rule that out because everybody, I, I hear all the time that, uh, man, I, I knew that suicide happened, but I never thought it would happen in my family. Right. Yet it does, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're kind of similar that way. I haven't had a, a family member in particular, but people close to me. You know, yeah, and kind of the same. So, but that those numbers you're sharing, and I know it's not all about numbers. You know, it's that's no. not what your your main focus is. It's about people. Yes. Um, but the, the numbers reflect the people, so that's that's interesting to look at. I mean, obviously, you couldn't pinpoint one thing that you and others have done to really make that shift. But has there been, I don't know, some programs or something noticeable that you could put a finger on? Say this in particular if every county was doing this or this group of things, then you could also see those numbers drop. Yeah. And I can tell you, so I, I, I've had this thought, yeah. <laughs> you know, what is it? What, what, what made us drop 17 places, right? I can tell you exactly what it is and it's nothing magical and it's nothing that uh, is that hard to do. But one thing that you'll notice in suicide prevention is probably this way in any subject like suicide or mental health or, or whatever the, the different things could be, you know, take it to cancer research or, or any of those different programs. I think there is territorialism where maybe the health department goes, well, we don't want you to kind of work in this area because that's what we do. You know, you should focus on something different. You know, we're, we're about up, upstream prevention, and so you should focus elsewhere. 
um, the school district says, well, this is what we do best and we don't want you involved in what we're doing. And so I, I found that there were walls no matter where I went. Yeah. That I don't think they meant anything by, by acting the way they acted, but, but it felt like anytime you wanted to make a difference, there was someone else saying, no, that's what we do. That's what we do. Yeah. You know, we've got this. And, and, and so what I can say that has, has affected those numbers in Tooele is the fact that it took a minute, but all of the agencies meet together monthly. They work well together and they understand just like fingers on a hand, right? School district might be better at this. Um, health department might be better at this. The hope squads might be better at this, you know, life's worth living might be better at, at this. And if we utilize the strengths of all of those different programs, huh. we make a much better difference. I mean, we're all pushing in the same direction and it's not about who gets credit and it's not about, you know, I do this better, you do this better, but work together. And I, I can tell you that in 2000, I think it was 2018. I hope I'm not missing the year, but in 2018, I started to get phone calls from um, Sevier County down in Richfield. Mm. And they had had a bunch of suicides that had, had come through and devastated that small community. It's a community of like 10,000 people. Yeah, They had lost what the national average is for 100,000. Whoa. They have lost in one year. So 10 times the national average in this small community. And I was reached out to by a young, young girl that was running for Miss Sevier County. She wanted to run on Lysworth Living Platform. Hmm. We went down and she, for the, for the uh, what do you call it, for their beauty pageant. And as it ended, we went up and gave her a gift basket and said, thank you for inviting us down for this. And she, she amazed me that night. She said, well, don't leave just because I didn't win. Don't leave. She says, I've set up an appointment for you, a meeting with you and our county commissioner. And I'm like, wow. And she goes, because whether I won or not, we have to fix this problem down here. Yeah. I should have won with that. Attitude. Yeah. What an amazing girl. I, you know, we're still friends and she, she actually had walked me over, introduced me to the county commissioner. County commissioner goes, what can you do to help us? He goes, this is, this is incredible. We are losing people. In fact, we had a funeral today hmm. of a very prominent person in local government down there, his son. And, and I said, you know what? Let me do some thinking about it. We'll figure out what we can do. I came back later that week got a phone call from a dad who had had his daughter attempt after her boyfriend uh, took his life. And she was in a, a facility, you know, in a mental health care facility trying to, to get better. And uh, it, it just seemed like this was going on and on and on. And it, it just kept going. And, and I keep getting these phone calls, which was odd because I'm not in Sevier County. I'm in Tooele. Yeah. And it's like two and a half hour drive. So I mean, it's, it's, I keep thinking, where are they getting our foundation's information? And, yeah. uh, and so we ended up going back down in August and said, um, 
here's what we'd like to do. Tell me what you think to their community. I met with some of the leaders of the different programs and I could tell that there was some territorialism down there as well. Yeah. And I said, how I'd love to come down and help you. And I've got some ideas that I'd like to come down and present to you. So my wife and I went down in August, presented to them what we thought we could do to help. And I said, <clears throat> you know, part of prevention is just letting people know that you're there. They have to have faith in the system to know that something's being done and that there, there are programs in place and there's, there's things that can help. And so we laid it out and said, listen, we'd like to come back. And I believe it was in November. And so we'd like to come back the 1st of November and I'm gonna bring my dream team down and we're gonna teach the entire community um, QPR. We're going to teach it and we're going to take questions, do questions and answers at the end. And, and I said, and the community might have questions like, why is nothing being done down here? Why? And they might be hard, but that's where we can come in and, and say, oh my gosh, did you not know that your community has this set up and they're amazing at what they do, but this is where you would go and, and tell them what, what you are doing down there. Mm. And I said, and then what we'd like to do is take all of the prevention people in Sevier County and teach them uh, Safe Talk, which is a half-day training. And I don't believe any of them had had it at the time. And I said, uh, let us come down and teach that. And I'll bring uh, my friend Taryn, who's the head of AFSP, with me, kind of to show that, hey, there's no barriers, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll bring AFSP with Vice Worth Living. And for QPR, we brought um, people from the Hope Squad. And then I had one of one of uh, the people from the school district that's over the counselors in Tooele County. She came down and taught coalition building. Hmm. So to teach how to lose those barriers and how to work together, because I really credit her with a lot of the changes in Tooele County, because she did that. She tore down those barriers and made all of us figure out that we could work together. Yeah. And we brought people down from the state uh, mental health and substance abuse uh, from the state of Utah. And we had all of these people down there and we spent two days with them and we, we offered trainings. And I said to him, I said, I promise you, if you'll institute what we've come down and, and shown you, I promise you a year from now, your numbers will drop. And I said, I really want to get back in touch with you a year later and find out, you know, was I wrong? Did the numbers change? Because 24 was quite a few to lose yeah. in such a small community. One year later, I reached out to the head of their coalition. And I said, I'd love you to come up and be part of my podcast. And, and I said, I want you to, to get with the leaders down there and find out what the numbers last year were. And we'll present them at the podcast. Yeah. And she started to cry. And she said, when, she, when we talked again, and she said, you're never going to believe this. There's been zero. Wow. And by the time she came up, you know, as full disclosure, by the time she came up and did the podcast, they had lost two. But two is a far cry from 24. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's amazing what tearing down those barriers can do. And that's, that's all I can say about it. If everybody could learn, it's not about who does what, just figure out how to work together because 
we're all working in the same direction. It doesn't matter. Well, I can see how some people, you know, there's like a sense of ownership. Yeah. I I own this section and we're doing it and it's, you don't want to take offense to someone coming in and stepping on your toes. You know, you've already trying and you're doing a good job, but the bigger picture is obviously in this case is, is what it's all about and figuring out how to knock down those barriers and, and working together obviously is making a huge difference. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. I mean, we're in this because we're passionate about it. We're in it because we want it to stop. We want to, I mean, it's so discouraging when you start thinking we're losing this many people. I mean, we're almost 50,000. I guess what, 47,000 a year to suicide? Uh, and we're losing 22 veterans a day. Yeah. I mean, it has to stop because everybody, this world is not better off without someone in it. It's just not. Right. Yeah. And it, for us, it's easy to see that. It's the people in particular that are heading down that road that really don't see their value. You know, yeah. with most of the conversations I've had with people, it's it's the lack of value and the lack of hope. Like those two things combined, it's kind of like they don't see it, but helping them have a way to see it is kind of what it's all about, painting that picture. Well, you mentioned veterans. I know you've kind of had a big focus with veterans and a big monument put up in, in Tooele at the Memorial Park. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what has what's kind of geared you towards focusing on veterans in some of these efforts? Well, I, I will tell you, I grew up in a military family. Uh, okay. My dad was an Army Ranger. He was a Korean War vet. Uh, he passed away <clears throat> in 2015. But we were a very patriotic family. Yeah. We live in Tooele. My dad was out at Dugway Proving Grounds is where he retired. Um, we live in a military town out here. We have Tooele Army Depot. We used to have the South Valley uh, uh the South Depot, which had all of the, the chemical and biological or whatever ordinances that were aging. And we, we used an incinerator to get rid of all of it. It's gone now. They've destroyed all those chemicals. But when I first moved out here, it was there. And then you have Dugway Proving Grounds, which is, you know, bigger than Rhode Island, I think. Here in <laughs> is it County. Really? And, oh, it's huge. It has the backup. It had the backup landing strip for the space shuttle. You know, if something went wrong, it, yeah, and so it, and I lived out there for a uh, short period of time yeah. uh, when I was 19. And then again, when I was 21, I lived there for just a short period of time. And I love it. I love our military. Um, we, had, we had been focused on our veterans because there had been some news that there was a monument that they were trying to get in Washington, D.C., next to the Vietnam Wall. Yeah. And, uh, and it... It, it wasn't very respectful. Uh, the idea of the artist was to have a 25 foot granite kitchen table. It had chairs with one of them backed away, had a bottle of Jack Daniels on the tabletop, about 10 pill bottles with a couple of them spilled over and a loaded revolver on the, on the tabletop. And I thought to myself, we ask such difficult things of our military. They don't get paid based on what we expect them to do. I mean, they, yeah. they're not paid for what we really expect of our, our men and women in the, in the service. We ask really hard things so that we all can stay home and sleep peacefully and know that we're safe, right? 
they're out doing the things that make that possible for us. And in every movie you've ever seen, probably, that was a military, you know, war movie, you'd always hear things like, leave no man behind. You know, we leave no man behind. But yet we do, right? I mean, they go, they serve, they come home, and in essence, they're left behind. They die in the shadows. They die with struggles that we know nothing about. Right. And to me, that that is, it's heart-wrenching. And so in 2017, I believe it was September of 2017, uh, our foundation was asked to attend uh, a program up at the state capitol. And it was a movie screening called Thank You for Your Service. And now I want to explain because if you go on like iTunes or something, there is a movie called Thank You for Your Service. That's not the same thing. This is a documentary called Thank You for Your Service. And they follow these uh, veterans from Iraq. And it it was a really difficult documentary to watch because these, you know, it starts out with these young men that join the service they all have that good looking picture in their dress uniform right yeah and they they just look like what we picture these young men and women that go out and and fight for their country they go over to iraq and and there is one point in the movie where um they'd ask the car to stop the car did not obey the commands and they had to to shoot shoot the uh people inside the car and it was a family and it was a it was a mix up and it was a terrible thing that had happened. And because of that rough incident, these men came home and struggled with what they had seen and everything that they'd done. But in that movie, there was a statistic that I had never heard before. And that statistic was that if you're familiar with the Vietnam Wall, During the Vietnam War, we lost 58,220 soldiers to combat. 58,000, right? That's that represents every name on that on that wall. And like you said, those aren't numbers, those are people. Right, that's a ton. 58,220. But if you go back to the Vietnam, the start of the Vietnam War, only counting the Vietnam soldiers. From the day the war started to right now, we have lost over 170,000 to suicide. Are you serious? Dead serious. And, oh and, and, and so here's the deal. That's like three to one, right? Almost three to one. So wow. if, if that Vietnam wall was to include the, those men and women that we lost to suicide, imagine the, the sheer size of that, right? Yeah. It'd be what, what 200, uh, you know, I'm a contractor, my math's not really good, but like 220,000, right? Somewhere in that neighborhood. So to me, that's, that's devastating. It's devastating that that's happening. Now, in the Middle East, in Iraq and, and Afghanistan, we've lost a lot less than the 58,000. Yeah. However, we are already past the three to one ratio. Really? Yeah. And so, I mean, we lose these, we lose these veterans and these are some of the finest people that you'll ever need. Right. Yeah. And 
yet they're coming home and they're dying in the shadows. And to me, that's just not okay. And so when we when we looked at that film and we and we learned that statistic and we knew that, that they were going to put a uh, veteran suicide monument in Washington, D.C. It was going to be the first in the nation. I was like, there, there's no way. We've got to, we've got to beat that. We've got to put one in before they get to it. And so we live in Tooele. That's a small community, right? And Tooele yeah. City is like 30, 30 something thousand. Our county is 70,000, but it's a huge land. Yeah. A, a huge chunk of land for our county. And, and we said, we have got to, uh, we got to make sure that we can erect one that's tasteful. And so we, we worked with a local artist, Dan Snark. He's a sculptor. He's got pieces of, of, he's got sculptures all over the country. He's well known and he's a Tula native. Awesome. And so we worked with Dan and we said, we want to, we want to put in a uh, statue first in the nation dedicated to solving the problem of veteran suicide. And so we started raising money January 1st of 2018. And I kept thinking, you know, if we can raise half the money by the 4th of July, I'll feel confident to go to uh, pour the, the, the bronze statue, knowing that we can finish it up by Veterans Day. Yeah. And we actually raised all the money by June 4th. Wow. A month before the 4th of July. And we were able to erect, it's an 18-foot bronze statue of a soldier holding a flag. 18-foot um, tall, it's valued at $250,000. We had it appraised. And uh, it's called Proud. And the pedestal that it sits on is six feet tall. And what we're doing is every year, we add bronze plaques of local resources that struggling veterans or their families can reach out to for help. Hmm. And we're going to continue to, to fill up that, that pedestal until we have so many, so many uh, resources that hopefully this number drops. I mean, it, it was interesting to me when we, when we did the unveiling, we had a, a four-star general that attended, uh, the governor declared it life's worth living, you know, veteran suicide day or something to that effect. We had people from the attorney general's office. We had senators, representatives. Um, it was it was an amazing day. But what made it the most amazing for me was the people that came up to me afterwards and said in tears that they were there because they lost their veteran. Right? Mm -hmm. They'd lost their veteran, and they wanted this to be representative of change you know that things were going to change yeah and i heard heart-wrenching stories and i hugged a lot of people that day but i am so proud that it's there because let me tell you it's not just young men and women that are coming home right now but we we lose our older vets too because let me tell you if you're say a paratrooper or an army ranger, a Navy SEAL, whatever it is, you get to a point where you're not physically able as you get older. You're not physically able to do the things that you once were able to do. And as you start to lose those freedoms and you're maybe on a cane or in a, a wheelchair and, and things like that, it's, it's difficult. 
And so we lose our older vets too. We're still losing Vietnam vets today. And so we have to be aware that they're out there. And there's there's a program that's called Buddy Check 22. Hmm. We lose 22 vets a day. And so every month on the 22nd, our veterans reach out to 22 of their friends and check on them. Oh, that's awesome. And it's called Buddy Check 22. And so, you know what, even if you're not in the military, if you know a veteran, um, he could be, you know, I think the honor flight last year took a, a veteran that was 102, um, wow. a world war two that I've, I've, I've got a, uh, developer I've worked for, for 30 years. He's 98 world war two vet. Wow. So, you know, a veteran that's, you know, in that age range, all the way down to somebody in their twenties, that's a veteran, you know, check on them, check on them because sometimes that's all they need is that connection, um, to let them know that you're there, that they're needed, that they're 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 such an important part of our our world. And these are uh, some of the finest people you'll ever meet. That is so profound. I mean, thinking you know, every once in a while, I'll see a veteran, you could tell by you know the hat they're wearing or something. Um, and there's been a couple times where I've I've stopped with my kids and you know said thank you for your service. That's a common yeah. phrase. Sure. But how often am I spending the time to talk to that person? Like, how are you doing? You know, I mean, the fact that you share those numbers and I have no idea. I mean, how many people in this country have no idea that we've lost that many to suicide? I mean, I've seen posts online of veteran awareness and suicide and that kind of stuff. But I, I mean, I'm someone that's pretty involved in this and I, I didn't know those figures. That's that's just astounding. Well, and, and you know, if you go back, it didn't just start in Vietnam either. I mean, we started calling it PTSD, right? Yeah. PTSD is a phrase we use now. They come home with PTSD. Um, World War II, they didn't call it PTSD. It was, they came home shell-shocked. Yeah. And, and that was a term they used. But let me tell you, suicide and our veterans have gone back to the earliest wars of this country. Mm. I mean, we're talking in the 1700s. I mean, it, it, it's, it didn't have a start in Vietnam, but we started tracking it in Vietnam and yeah. we know where we're at now. And so we, we definitely need to do better as a country. And, and maybe we need to do better when someone is discharged and they're, they come home from war, that they go through some sort of a program to ready them to get them back into civilian life. I mean, yeah. but something needs to change there because we can't continue to lose them at that rate. It's, it's not right. And I'll tell you the 22, you know, that's astounding as it is, but it's not even a real number because in many States, if you die of an overdose, whether it was intentional or not. It goes down as an accidental overdose. It doesn't go down as a suicide unless you leave a note. And so if a note wasn't left behind, how many people, I mean, we know right now with the opioid crisis that we lose about 50,000 a year. How many of those were suicides and how many of them were just unintentional overdoses? You never know. Yeah. You know, you talk about traffic accidents. How many times do you hear someone died from a wrong way driver? Was a wrong way driver on that side of the road by accident or were they there to end their life? I mean, there are so many unknowns in it that we couldn't really say 22 is really a legit number, but that's the number that's used. Yeah. Wow. 
Fascinating stuff, John. I mean, the amount of information, the things you've learned in the last, what has it been, eight years or so, seven roughly, that you've been involved in suicide prevention. And the amount of great things you've done, I mean, the, the monument and, and whatnot. I was also reading about your, your annual walk to Wendover is another thing you guys yeah. have been doing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It sounds pretty fascinating. Well, it was that had a funny start. I We had done an event. I, I can't remember if it was a speaking event. We had a speaker coming in. We'd ask, we'd send out a press release hoping that we'd get some press, right? Because awareness, you can't raise awareness if people don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, you have to know about it. So the press plays a really, really big part in suicide prevention. You know, that people have to know that something's out there. There's help out there. And we had done a press release and press no show. Nobody came. And I thought, man, this was such a cool event. I was really bummed out. And I remember laying in bed, and I think it was like three in the morning. I do a lot of these, a lot of the three in the mornings because I just wake up. Yeah. My wife said, what are you doing up? And I said, I have an idea. And she goes, okay, what's your idea? And I said, I'm going to walk to Windover because we're exit 99 the Twilla exit is exit 99 and you know, Wendover's, you know, exit zero, right? So at the state line. So I'll walk a hundred miles to Wendover. And I said, there's no way that the press is not going to cover that. There is no way. And she's like, you're done. Go back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, late night, crazy ideas. Yeah. And I said to her, I go, listen to me, Oprah Winfrey. I love Oprah. Oprah ran a marathon. If Oprah ran a marathon, I could definitely walk two marathons in the day. Hmm. I know I could. Yeah. And she's like, go back to bed. <laughs> and so the next day I didn't want to die. I was like, you know, we, I, I really think we could do this. And I, I figured it out. You know, most people walk five miles an hour, 20 hours of walking. We can do this. And she goes, you can do this. <laughs> I'm not going to do this with yeah. you. Send me pictures and, when you're done. And so I remember sitting down with our board of directors and I said, okay, I've got a, I've got a crazy idea and I think we can do it. And uh, one of my friends that's, it was the vice president. He goes, absolutely not. You know, there's too much risk in that. If somebody got hit, we're not walking down I-80. There's no way if somebody gets hit, I'm done. Well, yeah, and legally, can you even walk on an interstate? No, no, yeah. but there's a frontage road. There's a oh, frontage yeah. road. Yeah. And so I'm like, listen, we'll take the sheriff's department with us. They'll go as a lead car. We'll take a tour bus behind us. That will protect us from the rear. And we will walk. And and he's like, it's a dumb idea. And and so I'm a good salesman. I can sell ice to an Eskimo. We, we ended up doing the walk that year. We did it with a 15 passenger van and just our board of directors. So I think we had in all board of directors and the families, I think we walked about 20, 25 people and we did it in two days and we made it. Now so is this kind of like a, a Ragnar type thing yes. where you take turns doing a stretch? Okay. And we didn't even take turns. It was like, hey, if you feel like walk and walk, if you want to yeah. get back in the van, get back in the van. But someone's take always walking. But, but there is always people walking. And so we finished it the first year. And that board member that told me I was crazy and that it was a bad idea had tears in his eyes at the end. And he said, you know what, that 
is the coolest thing we have ever done. Wow. He said, what, when are we going to do it next year? And I said, same weekend, let's do it the end of April. And so the next year we took a tour bus with 50 people. The next year we took two tour buses with, you know, hundred and two tour buses and a 15 passenger van. And we, we took 125 people or whatever. And then COVID hit, we had four buses, chartered buses to do this walk. Yeah. And people raised money and we had to, to cancel it because it was in April and COVID had hit in March. And yeah. so we canceled the entire walk. And so last year, in two, well, this year, 2021 in April, we announced that we were doing the walk again and that anybody that had paid to do the walk and had raised money could go for, for last year. Yeah. And we ended up taking, gosh, I can't even remember, 125. I think we took two tour buses and a 15 passenger van again this year. Wow. And, and we walked. And I'll tell you, it's, it's amazing to me that people get put in your path and they get put in your path for a reason. And it was the first year that we had taken the tour buses and the bus driver after day one, we dropped everybody off and, and he says, Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, yeah, what's going on? And he said, uh, I, I knew I was supposed to be your driver for this because I have thought of taking my life. Wow. And he said, this has inspired me so much. And I am so grateful that you let me be part of it. I had tears in his eyes. And so the next year we came back, I requested him as my bus driver. Yeah. And, and he brought his son and his son had struggled. His son had attempted. Wow. And we had them. And I mean, there's stories like this. And the, the cool thing, if you want to get to know somebody, walk a hundred miles in the desert with them, man. You'll yeah. figure out a lot of stuff. And, yeah. and there is something beautiful as you walk across those barren salt flats that you notice beauty in places that you, going 80 miles an hour on, to Windover in your car, yeah. you will fail to see any of the beauty because it's just this lonely stretch of highway of I-80, right? Yeah. But you walk it, you will see some of the most incredible scenery, some of the most beautiful things. I mean, we walked through, this is hard to believe, but um, between, gosh, Clive and between, I think it's, I can't even think of the exit before Clive, but between Dell and Clive, Dell is exit 77, I believe, Clive is exit 49. You're on the north side of I-80. We walked through what looked like Ireland. Some of the greenest, greenest I have ever seen. No filters. I'm talking the wow. greenest pastures almost. Like as you're walking down that frontage road, we had hatches of probably 50,000 butterflies that were just flying between us as we walked. I mean, wow. you get out day one, you're on the north side. Day two, you're on the south side of I-80 and you're walking through more of the salt. There are places that look like Myrtle Beach uh, without the ocean. We'll take the ocean out of it. But, <laughs> but there is some beautiful water out there and some of the most incredible scenery that you'll ever see. And, 
as you're walking, you're hearing people's stories and you find out that everybody's got a story. Yeah. Everybody's got a story. Maybe they struggle themselves. Maybe they've lost somebody. But I'll tell you what, day one, when we meet in the rotunda of City Hall to start that walk, everybody's lined up like wallflowers. Nobody knows each other. They don't know their stories and they're standing there. When we end up having our after party in, in the airfield at the Windover Airfield, um, people have formed friendships and bonds that I still see people from the first or the second year that we walked that are still friends. I still see them communicating on Facebook. Wow. And these are, they're, they're lifers. They're with us. I mean, they're, they're part of this uh, dysfunctional family, you know, of life's worth living that we're there for each other. We care about each other. And man, I look forward to that walk every year. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the most amazing experience. I hope you come do it with us next April. Well, yeah, it sounds, so it's in April every year. That's awesome. I would yeah. definitely love to do that. Well, one of the things yeah. you said right there toward the end is just, you know, everyone cares about each other. I think people that are really on the verge mentally of just feeling like taking their life is they don't feel that like nobody yeah. cares, you know, that kind of deep, dark feeling. But I mean, take this bus driver, for example, he might've yeah. thought nobody cares about me, but then he sees all the hundreds of people walking for people, just awareness of people that they don't even know, just letting them know, look, we care. Like we want this to stop. We don't want people to, to leave this earth and, and showing, doing something about it, showing action makes a big difference. Well, and I'll tell you, so this last year, this last April, for instance, uh, the walk was over. We'd had our after party at the, the airfield. We all went back. We, we had about half the hotel at the Nugget. And we all get up, we have breakfast, and then the buses come up in the front to, to load up, to take everyone home to Tooele. And they were all pulled up on the curb. And my wife and I were pulling our suitcases and, and getting them loaded under the bus. And as we were loading our suitcases under the bus right next to the curb, I noticed this woman and she was sitting on the curb and it looked like she was crying. Hmm. And I walked past her, climbed the steps into the bus and I looked at my wife and I said, was she crying? And she goes, yeah, I think she was crying. And, and I looked at someone sitting on the bus and I said, Hey, um, do you see that lady outside your window? And they said, yeah. And I said, is she crying? He says, yeah, she's crying. And I said to my wife, walk out with me so I don't look like a creeper. Let me go talk to her. And we both got off the bus. And we went down and I sat on the curb next to her. And I said, hey, are you okay? And she said, I have a son that is thinking about suicide. And she said, he is couch surfing. He's on drugs. I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's safe. And she said, I, I just don't know what to do. The reason I think she had started to cry was this year, the bus company that we used actually wrapped the buses for us. Mm. And they said, walk to Wendover for suicide awareness. And she was sitting right by the window of it. And, uh, you know, we were able to sit down with her and give her some advice and some resources and talk about things that she could do to make sure that her son was okay. And I just think to myself, if we don't 
make what we're doing known, she might have just never had that conversation that day, right? Yeah. Had, had we not been dumb enough to walk 100 miles across the salt flats and big tour buses that said, walk to 100 mile walk to Windover for suicide prevention or, or, when, or whatnot, would she have ever found the resources that she needed? And I just believe that so many times we don't want to talk about these things because of stigma. And it's so wrong. We need to talk about it. Yeah. You know what? Um, nobody's perfect. Nobody comes to this earth and doesn't have their challenges. Nobody, you know, if you think mental health, mental illness doesn't exist, it's out there. We all have it to some, some degree, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but we need to let people know that we care. We need to be less focused on ourselves and more focused on others because that really can make a difference. Yeah. Well said, John. I mean, I'm just thinking of people listening to this that, you know, feel like maybe people don't care. I mean, there's proof people do care. If you're a veteran out there and, and really struggling, I mean, there's people like John that are doing great things for veterans. And I mean, like you said in the beginning of the interview, just feeling like, why, how come nobody's doing anything about this? And the more you're into it, you find out that there's people like you, there's other people that are doing things. And it's sadly, it, it takes losing someone close to you or being aware when you start looking into it to find out that there is things being done or there are things being done. Um, but I think, you know, like you said, it's all about awareness. It's all about making sure people know. I am curious about how did the press handle it when you decided, you know, I'm going to walk to Wendover. Did they react yeah. this time? We had every news channel. We had the Salt Lake Tribune, the Deseret News. We were in the Windover newspaper, the Tooele newspaper. They showed up because they thought, what, what idiots are going walk to walk to Windover? I mean, it, it's a lonely road. But you know what? You, I, I really believe that we're here to make connections. We're here for the relationships, right? I mean, that's why we're here. Um, and those relationships make a difference. It gives us a form of connection, one to another, that we realize we're not alone on this planet. We, we're here, we have a purpose. We've got people that care, people that depend on us, people that, you know, if we all knew that, how much better would it be? And yet, yeah. and yet I have to tell you, one of the struggles I had when, when we started the foundation was recognition. I'm a guy that doesn't like birthday parties because I don't want people focused on me. Yeah. And it's, it's been that way my whole life, my whole life. My wife thinks I'm nuts because she's like, let's celebrate you. And I'm like, I don't want to be, I know who cares about me all year long. I don't need them to show up and bring me a gift to yeah. know that they care about me. I'm, I'm that guy. Well, when you run a foundation and you're doing these things, there is going to be press involved. And I, I was very uncomfortable with it at the first. Um, any recognition I was uncomfortable with. And it was the treasurer, treasurer of our foundation that sat me down and he says, listen, it's okay if your face goes on the paper, in the paper. It's okay if they talk about the foundation and you're the one that's the spokesperson because it's a win for all of us. Yeah. And he said, people will not know what we're doing if we shy away from telling our story. And it's taken me a long time to get used to it because I felt, and I, I said to my wife, 
every time the news shows up, I'm crying like a baby. Just once I want to look like Clint Eastwood when they, interview <laughs> you know, instead I've, I've got teary eyes because I know the stories, right? The stories, it's like you said, it's not about the number, it's, a, it's about the people. And I know those people and I know their stories. And so I find it really hard to keep composure when you're telling a story like that because yeah. I get it and I feel it. And so I think that's what we could be doing better in prevention, no matter who it is, whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's, you know, Todd Sylvester or, you know, our buddy Todd, we got to be noisy. We have to make noise. People need to know we're there because so often if you're not in the thick of it, you don't know what's happening. Yeah. And there's so many people quietly doing what they do. We need to be noisy about it because people need to know that there are resources out there and there is help out there. That's great advice. Let's be noisy, everybody. Get out there, spread the word, spread some joy, doing great things. I know he's talking about shying away from recognition. You did refer to your team as the dream team earlier. So obviously yeah. a lot of great people behind you that are working in the foundation. And well, and that was people just within my community. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, people that aren't even with the foundation there, yeah. there's amazing people. And, and really that's what we all need. You know, we need, we need a dream team that when somebody's in crisis, we know where to turn. Yeah. What do you do when someone's in crisis? You know, we, we always talk about how to recognize when somebody's in crisis, but what do you do once you know they are? I mean, where do we, where do we get them? Where do we, where do we find those resources for help? And so, yeah, I just think, I think in prevention, we need to lower our guard, drop the territorialism, lower the barriers and the walls and just get that we're, we're all in this together. That's great. And you know what? Somebody might not connect with me. Somebody might say, you know, John's not my cup of tea. He's not, you know, I don't connect with him. But then they, then they see you and you're doing your podcast and you're making such a difference. And they're like, you know what? Kel's my man. Great. Because we want everybody to know that there's someone out there that they can turn to. And if it's not me, I'm happy if it's you. And if it's not, me and it's not you and it's Todd, man, I'm great. I'm glad it's Todd. I'm just grateful for people that are passionate enough to do what they do because, you know, we can all sit back and complain about the state of the world and we can complain about things, but you know what? It's, it's the people that are stepping up and this isn't a fun job. Suicide prevention is not fun. I always tell people I'm a fun guy. I, my next life, I'm going to work at Disneyland and tell people to keep their arms and legs inside the rides <laughs> at all times, right? Yeah. But there, I've met some of the most incredible people in prevention that I know their hearts and I know where the, I know the good that they mean. And, and I just think if those people weren't doing it, then who? Yeah. Wow. Those are some great points. I mean, working at Disneyland, it's just fun and all, but at the end of the day, I mean, the, the feeling of accomplishment, the feeling of, obviously there's no feeling of we've accomplished it all. We're not done. I mean, but seeing how your County has dropped suicide numbers and the difference you are making, that's, that's gotta be really satisfying, even though there's, there's lows with hearing some of those stories, but 
I mean, it definitely keeps you going to see the difference that you guys are making. It's pretty awesome. Well, and you don't ever know that those numbers are going to continue that way. I mean, right? yeah. we could, we could have a terrible year next year, but I will tell you, um, my friend Allison at the Utah state, uh, department of mental health and substance abuse has just released a, uh, uh, the findings on COVID. Now we've all heard that, you know, COVID has made things so much worse. Yeah. Um, we, we know other states like California have seen increases. Um, it came out last week, the Utah's uh, findings, and, and we found that there has been no increase. There was no increase through COVID, uh, no increase in attempts, no increase in suicides. And wow. so it'll be interesting as the years go on that we, we look back and we can say, you know, maybe it was states that were had a little bit stricter lockdowns and things, but Utah has been doing well. I mean, we have dropped as a state. Um, 2014, we were fifth in the nation. We've dropped from there. So, I mean, we're, we're moving in the right direction as a state. Yeah. But it's one of those things that we've just got to, we've got to be more open. We've got to talk about it. Utah has a problem with perfectionism. We all want to be perfect. We don't want to anybody to know our dirt. Um, social media is kind of that way right everybody oh, yeah. posts the good stuff and yeah and not not real life but the the filtered pictures the you know and so we've got to get past that we've got to be okay to say you know what today is one of those days man i'm, I'm having a day and as someone can hear a friend say that they might be able to say you know what man i get it i'm having a day too yeah. and it's okay to not be okay but every one of you, if you hear those voices in the back of your head that says the, the world would be better off without me, nobody noticed if I was gone, nobody would care anyway. Let me tell you, I don't know all of you. Many of you I don't know, but I can tell you that the world would not be better without you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. The world would not be better without you. We all are a piece of a uh, gigantic puzzle. Yeah. and you're all here for a purpose everybody fills a void they there are people that depend on you people that love you and and we need you here absolutely wow well said john i mean so much great information great stories great experience that you've had i'm, I'm really grateful for you taking the time and and sharing that um, is there a, is there a website directly life's worth living foundation, a Facebook link or whatnot? Where can people find you? We do. And, and I'll tell you, we had, we had an issue a few years ago. Our web designer, um, was in a terrible accident and, oh, no. and it's in a facility in Salt Lake city. Um, he's not able to speak and, and we miss him, uh, dearly, but, uh, we've rebuilt and we're in the process of building our website back up. Uh, it is life's, L-I-F-E-S, life's worth living foundation.net. We are on all social media under life's worth living foundation. And, uh, you know, there's, we'd love you to be part of things that we're doing. And uh, we host a monthly suicide support group at Mount West Medical Center, which is our hospital in Tooele Valley. Hmm. Um, it's the fourth Thursday of every month. It is at 7 p.m. And uh, we'd love you to come to it. If you're struggling or you have lost a family member, come be part of this. And uh, just know that there, there are people that care. Yeah, absolutely. 
Right on. Well, again, I'll share some of those links in the show notes and and uh, for your podcast as well. But for people to go check out John's podcast, Life's Worth Living, and uh, all the great things he's doing there. And again, just really appreciate your time. I, I feel like we'll probably run into each other just being on the side so. of the mountains at, at different events and whatnot. And maybe we'll walk to Wendover together next April. But appreciate your time and keep up the good work, John. You're doing great things. Thanks, Joe. I, I appreciate all you're doing too. Hey, thank you again for listening in today. If you truly are struggling and having suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. They are available 24 hours every day and are anxious to help people in need. If you prefer to text, I would recommend the Crisis Text Line. They provide 24-7 support via text message. They're here for everything from anxiety, depression, and suicide. So even if you don't consider yourself suicidal, please text HOME to 741-741. That's H-O-M-E to 741-741. And simply open up about how you're feeling. Until next time, let's all stick around and help each other find hope and see value in life.